Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 21. Rocks, Baz shouted. Get out of there! This dragon couldn't have been any more different from the one Hellar had used to attack them. It was smaller, though still huge, at least as large as the worm they'd encountered, and it was shaped similarly, body one long line, though it had four legs. Glowing blue eyes were positioned above a flattened snout. It reminded Baz more of a dog than a great monster, particularly its drooping ears, each larger than a horse. A crest of white hair topped its head, flopping from side to side as the dragon's upper body hovered above rocks, the rest of its length hidden behind the debris in the road. Thin strands of hair like mustaches hung down from either side of its snout, rising and falling as the beast drew breath. But the most incredible thing about it was its hide. A strip of white hair ran down the length of its back, but the rest of its pale skin was bare, almost as if shaven, and upon it there was writing. Tattooed over so much of the skin's surface, it seemed more ink than flesh. Words from each of the branches of the Trinity, written in the quintet of elemental colors. Something about the creature's appearance tugged at Baz's memory, but he was far too concerned with staying alive to pay it much heed. Rox, apparently, had less sense of self-preservation than Baz, for he made no move to get away from the beast. In fact, his head was bowed and he was murmuring, as if in prayer. Rox, Baz said, with only slightly less urgency. The dragon was giving no indication of aggression. In fact, it seemed to be waiting to see what they would do, massive eyes roving between rocks and Baz. Still, Baz doubted being so close to the thing could be positive for Rox's long-term prospects. Yet, the harbor continued to stand there, head bowed. Had the dragon put him under some sort of spell? Baz had heard stories of influencer dragons with silver tongues, but this one didn't appear to be speaking now, though it had been murmuring something before it had come out from behind the rocks. Baz began to slowly circle the creature, trying to get a better view of it and searching for some safe path around it. Its eyes followed him, suggesting entirely too much intelligence for Baz's comfort. He moved a little closer to get a better look and tried to call for rocks once more. The dragon lunged at him before the words left his mouth, and Baz only just pranced his mount backward in time to avoid the beast's snapping jaws. In fact, Baz hadn't reacted in time, but something had pulled the dragon up short. With extreme caution, 
Baz maneuvered his horse so he could see around the boulder that shielded the rest of the dragon from view. Its tail was pinned beneath a large chunk of rock. Baz let out a nervous laugh. Come on, rocks. The thing is trapped. Let's just lead the horses wide of it and move along. No, Rox said. We cannot leave it. Baz stopped and glared at the harbor. Can't leave it? Rox, it would eat you for lunch if it could. Now is not the time to embrace your inner animal lover. Let's go. No, Rox said, rumbling voice adamant. It is sacred. It would be a great lie to leave it. Sacred? Baz looked back at the dragon, words trailing off as he remembered what had struck him about the beast's appearance. It looked quite similar to the statue in the conservator's chapel and the much smaller one Liana kept in her workshop in the basement back at Torchsire Library. A book dragon? Baz said, not believing the words even as they left his mouth. Rox's nod only left Baz more skeptical. He looked back to the dragon. But they all went extinct after the... The dragon swiped a paw at Baz, only narrowly missing again. The rest of the creature might not have had the spikes and sharp edges of the worm or fire breather they'd previously met, but it certainly had sharp claws. It doesn't like you talking, Rox said. It thinks you're casting a spell. Baz thought about arguing, but Rox seemed to have a point. The only time the dragon had shown aggression was when Baz talked in its direction. You have to make friends first, Rox said. Rox, come on, Baz said, dropping his voice to a harsh whisper. I know book dragons are important to you enigmans and all, but it's just an animal, a scared one. It's not going to let us rescue it. Only you can befriend it, Rox said, as if Baz hadn't spoken. You just have to speak its name. Its name? I don't know its bloody name, Rox. Rox pointed his sausage of an index finger to his own forehead. What? Oh, come on. That's just a myth, isn't it? But even as he spoke, Baz glanced back at the dragon. Sure enough, there above its eyes, partially obscured by its hair, was a word. It was written in ink of all five of the elemental colors, black, white, more gold on the beast's pale skin, red, green, blue. Characters from each language of the Trinity mixed together. I can't read it, Rox. My destruction is bad enough. I've hardly ever even looked at a book written in creation or influence. Try, Rox said. The Illumined Ones are not particular creatures if you attempt to follow the formalities. Baz sighed and turned back, peering at the dragon. It had settled back to the ground, head resting on its front paws, eyes tracking his every movement. Its hair had shifted enough that he could make out the characters on its forehead. He squinted harder, as if that would help him understand. He was surprised to find that the creation characters were familiar to him, similar to the ones of peace that Tax had tattooed on his arm. The destruction characters were also easy enough to decipher. There was only one he didn't know, and he assumed that was of influence, but he thought he could stumble over it. Erumir, 
he pronounced, feeling just the slightest hint of acrid power at the tip of his tongue as the spoken words left his mouth. The dragon's eyes may have narrowed slightly, but other than that, it gave no reaction. Baz looked back to rocks. See? Just a bunch of... Your enunciation is awful. Is awful. Baz screamed like a frightened child. What was that? What in the bloody burning name of the scribes was that? The Illumined One. It speaks. You honor us, Illumined One. Rocks bowed formally to the dragon. Well, at least one of you shows proper respect. Proper respect. The book dragon. It was talking. Not in one of the languages of the Trinity, but in the common tongue. Baz stared at it, jaw nearly in his pants. Its voice was a slow, lilting thing, slightly slurred, nearly ethereal, as if it might float away on the wind. It drew out the last syllable of its sentences, as if it hadn't quite mastered how to use its tongue, and repeated the last words it spoke as if its voice had an echo built in. Baz took off his hat and rubbed at his shaved scalp, completely at a loss. Rox gave a slight frown in Baz's direction, then said to the book dragon, What is your true name, Illumined One? Hmm, hummed the book dragon. I have been called many things, many things. But the boy was mostly right. Aromir is my illumined name. You may use it. Use it. Illumined Aromir, Rox said, bowing again. What happened to you? The book dragon wrinkled its nose as if at a bad smell. One of the lost attacked me. The lost? Baz said. The fire breather, Rox said. They were once kin to the book dragons before forsaking their oaths. The book dragon let out an ear-splitting whine. Do not speak of the great library. Why remind me of my failure? My failure. Baz didn't know what the book dragon was talking about, but neither did he want rocks to upset it further, so he quickly asked, The fire breather, uh, lost one. Were there two men with it? Yes, growled the book dragon, a hoarder of words and his oppressed. They tricked me when I tried to bar the passing of the lost one. Lost one. I thought you might be associated with them, but rare is a foe who will speak the name of a book dragon. Book dragon. Why's that? Baz asked warily, still not entirely certain he wasn't a foe to the dragon. One who uses a book dragon's name for trickery, Rox said, forever forfeits the aid of all book dragons everywhere. <laughs> Baz scoffed. Perhaps that was an ill omen before the burning, but that was three hundred years ago. What does it matter now that— Bastion! roared Rox, the sound snapping Baz's mouth shut like a trap. Rox glared at him, then turned back to the dragon. Of course we are friends, Illumined One, and we will free you from your predicament. Ah, most kind, most kind. I thought I might never see my cave again. Cave again. 
Rox stepped toward where the dragon's tail was pinned. Bastion, come help me. Bass sighed, dismounting and taking half a step toward Rox. Then a thought struck him. All this time, they'd completely forgotten about Deliritus. Baz looked back to his still form. He seemed to be resting comfortably, at least as comfortably as he could be in his state. Rox, wait, Baz said. The harbor glared back at him. I said I would help the Illumined One. The words mean what they mean. Yes, yes, Baz said. But have you forgotten that you've spoken other words, that you have another to care for? Rox's eyes became so cold, Baz took a step back. Do not suggest I forsake my oath. I will care for Deliritus until my dying breath. Good, said Baz, sounding far more confident than he felt in the face of Rox's wrath. Then listen and let me help you carry out that oath. Before Rox could reply... Baz turned to the dragon. Aramir, you said you have a cave? Yes, the book dragon said, eyes rolling about in its massive skull as if expecting a trap. Is it near? Relatively. Relatively. Is it comfortable and safe? The safest, most comfortable haven in all the Firelands. The Firelands. Well... That might not be saying much, considering the general inhospitableness of the Firelands, but it would do. Great, Baz said. Then we will free you, on two conditions. Bastion, growled Rox. Baz held up a hand to forestall further protest. The book dragon was quiet, as if wondering if it had some other means of escaping its predicament. Finally, it said none too happily, What... Conditions. Bass smiled. First, you take our injured companion here back to your lair and care for him. Him? The book dragon said, looking over Bass's shoulder toward Deliritus. Its nostrils flared. Smells like a hoarder of words. Of words. It would be most distasteful to entertain one of his ilk. His ilk. Baz shrugged. I don't blame you for disliking the smell of him, but he suffered those burns, saving me from a lost one, so he can't be all bad, right? The book dragon leered at Baz, but finally said, Fine, and the second condition? Second condition? Baz didn't respond immediately, instead looking to rocks. The giant man's brow creased for a moment in confusion. Then his eyes widened, and he began to nod his head vigorously. Baz wasn't sure how he felt about sharing such a moment of revelation with a man he'd spent most of his life hating, but he smiled a little before turning back to the book dragon. You fly rocks and me to Tome. Part 4 Chapter 22 I cannot fly to the home of the scribes. The scribes, the book dragon said, as soon as Rox and Baz levered the rock off its tail. Eromir zipped up into the air, and for a moment, Baz thought he meant to abandon them. But after flying a few circles over their heads, he returned to the ground, putting his head atop his front paws and staring at them with giant blue eyes.
I cannot fly to the home of the scribes. The scribes, Eromir repeated. Rather than respond to the dragon, Baz glared toward rocks. I thought you worshipped these creatures, but it won't even keep a promise? Rox looked troubled, but the book dragon saved him from further consternation. I break no oath, no oath. If you had listened carefully, I said I would carry you across the paper fields. Baz pursed his lips. The paper fields was the name once given the weeping plains, where much of the paper for spoken books had been grown before the burning. Don't argue semantics, dragon. Baz wasn't yet prepared to be on a first-name basis with the creature. Tome is across the Weeping Plains. And I will take you to the border, but not an inch farther. You will have to travel to the Great Library under your own power. Own power. Why? The library is at the heart of the ruins. It will take a day at least to get there from the outskirts of the plains on foot. The book dragon broke eye contact with Baz, shuffling its body about like a child caught nibbling a freshly baked pie. I swore an oath to protect the great library and its spoken books. Spoken books. All my kind did. We failed. I failed. I can never return there. Return there. Baz furrowed his brow in confusion. What do you mean? Tome has been a ruin for over three hundred years, since the burning. You can't mean. The book dragon drew itself up like a serpent so that its head and front paws were in the air over them. For a moment, its voice became more solid, more like thunder in a storm than a melody on the breeze. I might have been young, but there is no reason to doubt me. Doubt me. I was one hundred and five when the shelves fell, more than old enough to swear an oath to the books. The books. When the shelves fell? You mean, you were alive when the burning occurred? Of course I was alive. Was alive. Then, in a much softer tone, Aramir said, Though, sometimes I wish I hadn't been. Hadn't been. But that means you're over four hundred years old. The book dragon huffed through its nostrils, the exhalation nearly knocking Baz off his feet. You know, for an orator, Aramir said, you don't seem particularly bright. Particularly bright. Baz glowered up at the dragon. An orator? What's that supposed to mean? Aramir had no wings but he floated up into the air all the same. The creature's tail, which had been bloodied and broken when they'd levered the rock off it, was now merely bruised. Aramir began moving in lazy circles above them, rotating his body so that half the time he was upside down as he spoke. Baz began to feel ill and looked away. An orator is what you are. You are. You know the words and can unlock their power. I can smell it all over you. Over you. Baz glanced to rocks, suddenly very uncomfortable. The dragon could smell that he could speak and read? Well, I've certainly never been called anything so fanciful before. In erstwhile, they call me a cuss. 
Aramir stopped his mid-air rotation with his belly facing the sky, eyes looking in what would ordinarily be an upward gaze to look down at Baz. For a moment, he thought the dragon was grinning until he realized that was also upside down. You are one of the oppressed? The oppressed? Aramir slowly righted himself and settled back to the ground. And yet you seek to help one of the hoarders of words? Of words? It's a long tale, Book Dragon, Baz said through clenched teeth. His decision to help Deliritus was difficult enough without the dragon questioning it. He could have let me die and didn't. I've a debt to repay, and so do you. Aramir wrinkled his nose once more, an altogether odd expression, considering his snout was already quite short. But he pawed over to where Deliritus still lay unconscious on the makeshift sled. The book dragon circled him slowly, sniffing at the air, his mustaches dancing about his nose like little birds. He can't travel like this, like this, Aramir finally announced. Baz was about to admonish the dragon once more about its oath, but then it began to speak. No, not speak. Sing. The words tattooed upon the dragon's flesh began to glow. It was like Tex's song, gossamer words of creation that caressed the ears like a soothing balm. The weight of fatigue that had settled over Baz's limbs ever since their encounter with Hellar suddenly lifted, as if he'd had a week's worth of good night's sleep in the span of seconds. But unlike Tax's song, the book dragon's tune wasn't mere words. It held power. Eromir had no spoken book from which to draw upon, yet as he continued to sing, the blisters on Deliritus's face began to subside, the raging red of the burns fading to a soft pink. The expression on the Torchsire heir's face changed from one of pained exhaustion to that of a contented slumber. It was, well, amazing. No other way to put it. It was impossible to say how long the book dragon's singing spell went on, but eventually Baz realized he was just swaying in silence, a smile on his lips. There, Aramir murmured, volume of his voice back to a mere breath on the wind. He'll need rest for days, but he will be better, be better. The burns will scar, but only slightly. The leg will give him some trouble. It had been injured too long to fully heal, fully heal. Baz was still caught in the daze of the song and had no immediate response for Aramir, but Rox did. Thank you, Illumined One. The harbor fell to his knees beside Deliritus, taking up his sleeping form and holding him close. Thank you, Rox whispered again. Baz looked away, embarrassed to see the harbor so vulnerable. Aramir seemed to share the sentiment floating back up into the air and away from the two men. It is nothing, is nothing. After giving Rox a minute, Aramir returned to the ground, beckoning them with his head. Come, it is time to fly, to fly.
All right, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, May 1st, 2022, as I record this episode 16 of the podcast. Um, quick personal update here before we get into our discussion of chapters 21 and 22. Uh, Writing-wise, past week was a bit of a challenging one here. Look into the uh, <laughs> look into the life of the uh, the active author here. I uh, found a couple of, I guess, plot holes. I guess you could say in the subplot of part four of the Spoken Books Uprising, which I'm currently working on. Had to go back and rework a few things in my outline. Even dove into a couple of uh, craft books and reviewed some plot archetypes and uh, plot beats to help diagnose. <laughs> what uh what I thought was going wrong, which I which I do find very helpful when I'm stuck looking at uh looking at examples of things that I know uh work in order to jumpstart my imagination. Doesn't even necessarily have to be <clears throat> uh fantasy related, but just some you know just some fuel for the uh, <laughs> for the imagination. I'm not that good at pulling ideas out of thin air, but if you give me just a few sparks, I can uh, I can create a bonfire pretty quickly if you let my imagination. Uh, get to work. Uh, still, it is uh, it is frustrating when things like this happen, especially when I'm in drafting mode because I'm trying to get this story out as quickly as I can because I can always go back when I do my edits and kind of smooth out any uh, irregularities. And when I'm in that mode, uh, a day or two without a significant increase in word count can really feel like I've you know like I've stalled out. But uh, the the plot holes here were serious enough. I just, I just, I don't know. I didn't feel like the subplot had much direction or was that exciting or had some had an issue that readers would uh, you know, would latch onto and care about. So definitely going back and diagnosing and fixing that now uh, is going to make my life a lot easier moving forward. So uh, this is me telling myself to uh, <laughs> to be happy that I did that. So uh, future. Future DT Kane here will uh, will be happy. <clears throat> uh, on a more personal note, my two-week trip to Europe is uh, only 20 days away as of the recording of this. I'm going to Ireland for eight days and then Paris for a couple of days and Brussels in Belgium for a couple days. Um, can't wait to get back and share some of those experiences with all of you, including, I'm sure, lots of photographs I'll be taking. Uh, I'll be recording some episodes in advance, so there's no gap while I'm gone, though a couple of them will be shorter than normal, but it was either that or no book club at all. I didn't want to ghost you guys <clears throat> while I was gone, so there will still be content for you while I'm uh, away on my trip year, even if it's slightly shorter episodes than you might be used to. And then uh, finally, that half marathon I've been talking about is next weekend. So uh, next week, I'll have to let all of you know how that went. Maybe I'll have a, a photo or two, <coughs> photo or two from the uh, finish line to show you of that. Uh, I put in some training in my fancy new orange shoes, so I'm ex <laughs> excited to get out there to see what I can do. So uh, wish me luck. Uh, I'll be running uh, next Saturday in the morning, May seventh. <coughs> Okay, so let's get into uh, our analysis of chapters 21 and 22. 
rocks get out of there so we pick up uh you know right where we left off last week remember we see bass tells us there is a a new dragon that comes out from behind this boulder and we left on a bit of a cliffhanger here um you know is bass showing concern for rocks here uh kind of sounds like it right though uh i'm sure if we asked bass he'd only say it's because he's as good as dead if rocks isn't around to protect him right (laughs) Um, though wasn't Baz just considering running away from rocks in the previous chapter too so uh, we continue to see a conflicted Baz here but certainly in the moment he is concerned about rocks being attacked by this dragon but this is an altogether different dragon right Um, does this description sound at all familiar to you I think uh, this dragon is important enough to this book and uh upcoming books so i think it's worth just reading the description here again and uh as you read it think if you've heard of anything else like this in uh in the previous chapters that we've read here on the on the book club at least as large as the worm they'd encountered and it was shaped similarly body one long line though it had four legs Glowing blue eyes were positioned above a flattened snout. It reminded Baz more of a dog than a great monster, particularly its drooping ears, each larger than a horse. A crest of white hair topped its head, flopping from side to side as the dragon's upper body hovered above rocks, the rest of its length hidden behind the debris in the road. Thin strands of hair like mustaches hung down from either side of its snout, rising and falling as the beast drew breath. But the most incredible thing about it was its hide. A strip of white hair ran down the length of its back, but the rest of its pale skin was bare, almost as if shaven. And upon it there was writing, tattooed over so much of the skin's surface It seemed more ink than flesh. Words from each of the branches of the Trinity, written in the quintet of elemental colors. Something about the creature's appearance tugged at Baz's memory, but he was far too concerned with staying alive to pay it much heed. Um, So this sounds a lot like the dragon from the prologue, right? (laughs) Uh, Even repeats... uh, the dragon, that is, uh, even repeats the ends of its sentences like the one in the prologue did. Uh, so uh, this is a this is a book dragon like the statue we saw in the conservati- conservatory and in Liana's workshop. Uh, contrary to what Baz believed, apparently they are not extinct, right? Uh, so uh, interesting point here that you know, while most people seem to think book dragons were extinct rocks uh rocks recognizes it right uh he's even got a special name for it, an illumined one and he says it's sacred now has rocks just seen the statues too um you know probably not <clears throat> too far uh, of an extrapolation to think that rocks has probably been into the conservatory once or twice um maybe he's even been down to uh, Liana's workshop and seeing the statue she has down there, uh, or you know, or is it more than that? Does he have some special knowledge of book dragons? Um, you know, Rox's Rox's depth here continues to grow. There's definitely a, you know, 
him being from Enigma is definitely fitting because he's a bit of an Enigma. He seems to he seems to know things that you wouldn't necessarily expect just a brutish bodyguard uh, to know. And then you know, mixed in with uh, his uh, his moral code here that we have talked about repeatedly in the past, um, you know, layers and layers to rocks here. Um, so every time Baz speaks, the dragon gets upset, right? And Rox says it's because it thinks Baz is trying uh, to cast a spell, which uh, this is interesting too here, right? Because uh, apparently the dragon can sense others who are able to draw power from books, which um, is a little a little troubling for someone like Baz, right? Because uh, he wants to hide <laughs> that he can draw power from the books. So he definitely gets a little nervous when the book dragon reveals that he can smell that Baz can... Uh, can pull, can pull power from the books. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, the fact that Rox is so able to quickly put together, uh, you know, why the book's dragon is getting anxious when Baz speaks, again, a kind of maybe suggesting he has some sort of special knowledge about the creatures. Um, but interesting, so speaking is also the key to bevet- befriending the dragon, right? You just have to speak its name to befriend it, Rox tells us. And uh, the uh, dragon's name is tattooed on its forehead, apparently. And uh, the keen observers among you out there will recognize this was foreshadowed back at uh, toward the beginning of the book, maybe chapter 7 or 8, when we were... When we were down in Liana's workshop, remember her name was inscribed on the forehead of uh, the book dragon statue in her workshop that she got for kind of graduating to librarian in the conservatory. Um, so connecting some dots there <laughs> for you on that. Uh, Baz, of course, is skeptical as always, but uh, he at least goes ahead and tries to read the name on the dragon's forehead. Erumir. <laughs> Your enunciation is awful. <laughs> That's the heading of our next section here, and uh, what Aramir says in response to Baz trying to say his name, and uh, it talks, right? <laughs> Baz is kind of uh, frightened of this, uh, and it's not just talking in the magic language of spoken books, right? Because we saw the worm and the fire breather in previous chapters. They spoke in one of the languages of the Trinity, uh, Destruction, um, but here, the book dragon is actually talking in the common tongue that Baz can understand as ordinary speech. Um, and he tells us, that is, uh, the book dragon tells us that he was attacked by Hellar and his fire breather, the dragon. And uh, its tail is stuck under a large boulder from the result of that that conflict between uh, Hellar and his fire breather and our Aramir, the book dragon. Uh, and that's why Aramir was kind of skittish around them, right? He thought Rox and Baz might have been friends um, of Hellar, uh, a hoarder of words, and his oppressed. That's what he calls Hellar and Trunnel. So uh, a hoarder of words is obviously a reader here, and his oppressed is a speaker. It kind of seems that uh, Aramir has lots of different names for uh, for things that we already had terms for uh, in this world. He's got a He's got his own lexicon here. Um, he calls uh, he calls the fire breather, the dragon, a lost one, which Rox explains is because the fire breathers betrayed their oath to protect the great library during the burning. And recall, this was alluded to back in the prologue when uh, the book dragon in the prologue noted 
that the fire breathers had fled during the burning. Uh, For now, that's just an interesting historical note of this world, but uh, later on in the series, the fire breathers will become a little more significant, so you can uh, keep an eye out for that as you make your way through the Spoken Books Uprising with me. Um, So the book dragon here is in a bit of a predicament, right? And Rox, of course, is more than happy to offer uh, it help. Book dragons are um, kind of, they are from Enigma. Um, I think that's been alluded to once or twice here, but um, if not, there you go. Um, They're kind of uh, a creation of Prant v. Luxdor, which which we're going to see here uh, soon in an upcoming chapter. But so Rox being from Enigma is a bit in awe of the uh, of the book dragon here, and so he's doing he's happy to do whatever he wants to help it. Um, and he's kind of angry when Baz doesn't show the book dragon the proper respect. But then then the dragon mentions a cave, and an idea strikes Baz. Right, the thing can fly, and it has a safe place nearby. So he kind of, you know, hold on a second, Rox. Let's, uh, <laughs> you know, you also have Deliritus over here who we need to take care of. So uh, Baz strikes a bargain. We'll get that rock off of you, Aramir, uh, if you take Deliritus back to your cave and fly us to Tome. Aha! <laughs> who was wondering uh, just how I was going to get Baz uh, to Tome after that disaster with Deliritus? Well, what better way uh, than air travel, right? That's how we get to places that are far away. So that's what Baz is going to be doing here as well. But uh, not quite yet. We've still got the Liritus to to deal with and uh, some more background about the, about the book dragon here. So, you know, part three ends uh, with Baz saying to fly us to Tome. And then uh, we launched right into part four uh, of the book. In chapter 22, When the Shelves Fell. Um, So we saw in chapter 21, briefly, that the book dragon is very touchy (laughs) about any talk relating to Tome or the Great Library, and uh, we see why here in chapter 22. uh, Aramir, the book dragon, he is over 400 years old, he tells us. He was there when the burning happened. Um, But... You know, since he was there when it happened, he feels like he has, uh, you know, failed in an oath. He swore to protect the great library and all of its books. You know, he says he swore an oath to the books, and obviously Tome is now a ruin. You know, he doesn't go into detail about what happened during the burning, but he certainly feels like he failed in his uh, promise to protect Tome. So he'll agree to fly rocks and bass to the outskirts of Tome, but he will not go into the ruins themselves. He can't bear to enter, um, you know, and that would also. This also seems to explain why he has odd names for lots of things, right? You know, his speech is centuries old. He's calling things like they were called back three hundred years ago. Uh, one in particular here, the burning, is when the shelves fell. And yes, this is uh, an homage to the famous Star Trek: The Next Generation episode, uh, Darmok, for all of you Star Trek nuts out there, um, which I think is kind of fitting because that episode is all about communication with an alien who doesn't speak English. Uh, we'll do just a very quick aside here, but for those of you who are not Star Trek fans, uh, <clears throat> basic premise is uh, the Enterprise is trying to make first contact with a new alien race. Or maybe it's not first contact, but they're trying to, they're, you know, 
they're trying to open diplomatic relations, I guess, with a new alien race. Um, but the alien race only speaks in like uh, like analogies, so the universal translator <laughs> doesn't doesn't work to translate. So Captain Picard and uh, the captain of the the alien ship get stuck on a planet together, and they have to figure out how to communicate with one another without being able to understand each other's language. So that's kind of the basis for Darmok. It's a, it's a great <clears throat> great Star Trek episode. Uh, you know, go. Go look it up if you have a chance. But anyway, I think referencing that's uh, appropriate here because, again, it's the episode's about communication, and here we have uh, Baz learning to communicate with the book dragon. Uh, Shaka, when the walls fell. That's the uh, that's one of the quotes from uh, the Star Trek episode. That's where I got the when the shells fell from. Uh, so there you go. That's your look behind the curtain this week. Um Another old term that Aramir uses here, uh, he calls Baz an orator, right? Um, which Baz doesn't seem to initially pick up on, but um, the observant of you out there will recall from the recitation of Oration's history during the opening ceremony of the Actus Trials back in chapter, oh, I don't know, nine or ten. Uh, but orator was the term for men who could both, men and women, sorry, who could both read and speak prior to the burning. Um, Aramir uses the term as if it isn't 300 years out of style, right? <laughs> um, but there you go. I had something else to say here, and now it's uh, totally escaping me. So uh, I'm just going to move on here. Uh, but interesting uh, was when Baz corrects Aramir and says uh, where he's from, he's called a cuss. Aramir's kind of shocked, right? Uh, not because Baz can read and speak, though, like most people would be if they discovered someone as a cuss in this day and age, but because that means he is an oppressed, a speaker, uh, kind of a fitting title here. So um, a couple couple things to unpack here. One, Aramir can't believe that even though Baz is, uh, Baz is an oppressed, he's asking Aramir to help heal a hoarder of words, who again is a reader or a deliratus here. Um, but this also suggests that Ermir retains some connection to the current world, right? Since he obviously knows what a cuss means. Um, he doesn't need to ask Baz to explain what he means by cuss. So, uh, even though everyone seems to think book dragons are extinct, uh, one, they are not extinct, and two, at least this book dragon, Aramir, uh, seems to have at least some idea of what is going on in the greater world around him. Interesting, interesting. Gossamer words. Uh, this is our final section of analysis here today. Uh, so the first prong of the deal was for Aramir to take Deliritus back to his cave and care for him. But but, uh, but the book dragon tells us Deliritus cannot fly in his current injured state. So the dragon begins to sing, just like Tax did with the retirees back in the sub-basement of Torchsire Library. Uh, except unlike uh, the retirees where they were just singing, uh, Aramir's song has some power to it, more than some power, a lot of power into it. Deliritus begins to heal, his burns disappearing. Uh, the dragon doesn't have any spoken books, but there is this writing on his body, and some of it glows as he sings. So kind of, uh, it looks like the book dragon is actually a flying spoken book, right? It can draw magical power 
from itself. So this is a this is a big deal here. Think of so we're in this world where you can only cast magic out of books, but there are these book dragon creatures that don't need the books. They just need these tattoos that are on their own bodies to to draw power. Um, you know, and another implication here is remember Tax Tax had a tattoo. Tax uh, Baz's brother he had the tattoo of spoken words on his arm when Baz saw him. So is he trying to give himself the same powers? As a book dragon, uh, we don't know here uh, at this point. But but if he is trying to do that, why um, why don't all the readers just do that and then do away with the books? So uh, definitely <clears throat> definitely some questions here about the tattoos that that remain unanswered for us to delve deeper into as we move on. Uh, and then one final quick note. Did you notice how Iramir's tail seemed to heal itself? It was all bloody when they levered the rock off of it, but then merely bruised only minutes later. So, uh, again, this book, the book dragon has magic powers that uh, that we haven't seen out of anyone else here, man or beast, to this point in the story. So Aramir is certainly one to keep an eye on as we move through the story here. And... So we leave our heroes this week. Deliritus has been healed, and now he is peacefully asleep, and they are preparing to fly away on the book dragon to the book dragon's lair. Um, so next week we will read chapter 23. Uh, we'll see where Aramir lives and some rather interesting furnishings in his cave. And then we learn something of Rox's past that unsettles Baz. So those are a couple of things you have to look forward to you have to look forward to in next week's reading um right the quest so last week's quest was uh what is the name of the book dragon from the prologue well i don't know maybe i'm giving a little too much away here but we've only been given the name of one book dragon right so uh uh aramir uh it's the same dragon uh it's so interesting if you'll remember all the way back in the prologue uh, the Enigma gave the book dragon there, who I just told you is Aramir. Uh, you could probably put that together, but sorry if that's a little bit of a spoiler. But he gave <coughs> Aramir this special book, right? Told him to bring it to the city of Fortune, uh, which is another one of the cities in the triumvirate here in Oration. Um And now, uh, 300 years later, here we are again seeing... Aramir, interesting. It certainly seems that Aramir had some sort of uh, close relationship with the Enigma, who, remember, is kind of like a god here. He's one of the scribes. So interesting that he uh, that he's popping up here again now. Um, so again, like I've been telling you, that that you know that prologue had lots of purpose. Uh, if you if you paid attention to the prologue, you're seeing how it really ties into the main story here. Um, all right, so. Um, quest for next week uh, in preparation for seeing where Aramir lives I'd like you uh, to send me your favorite home from a fantasy novel you know it could be a house a cave a hovel a castle a hobbit hole or you know something else uh, whatever just uh, someone just has to have lived in it so send those in and I'll share some responses uh, next week interested to hear what some of you come up with there i've got a i've got a few ideas for my personal favorite i'll have to 
narrow them down so I can share one next week. Um, <clears throat> and okay, um, that means all we have left to do this week is our quote of the week. Um, and obviously after my tangent <laughs> on Star Trek up above, it seemed fitting to pick a quote from uh, the Next Generation episode, Darmok, that I paid a little homage to in Chapter 22. Um, and this is from Captain Picard in that episode. In my experience, communication is a matter of patience, imagination. I would like to believe that these are qualities that we have in sufficient measure. Um, and if <clears throat> you're a newsletter subscriber, um, you saw the little uh, little essay I wrote on uh, this quote, which I'm I'm trying to do every week here now. A quote and uh, my quick kind of interpretation or, or riff off of it. So I'll read that here as well for you. Temporal vortexes, the orb of time, and Q. Just a few ways Star Trek has achieved time travel over the years. But you don't have to be Ben Sisko or Catherine Janeway to take a journey through time. Just pick up a good book, or better yet, a pen. Through reading and writing, we constantly visit with men and women long dead and transport ourselves to distant worlds and times. And what's amazing is that it's a power anyone can exercise. Writing is incredible, a memorialization of thoughts and feelings at a particular point in time that exists in perpetuity. So follow Jean-Luc's advice. Pick up a pen, dust off your imagination, and communicate. We're all capable of dispersing our ideas throughout the ages. Um, so there, uh, there's my little interpretation of this week's quote of the week. Um, if you have any fantasy quotes that you particularly enjoy, I encourage you to email them to me, dtkane at dtkane.com, and I may feature one in a future newsletter and podcast episode. So send those quotes to me as well. And that's all for this week. So as always, Thank you for joining me here on the book club. And until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.